You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, would you say that you're the captain of this podcast? Um, No. So, so I'm the one that's in danger of getting dropped now that the captains are just getting axe left, right and center. Yeah, you're out. And uh, I think you're talking about Stephen Cornelio. You just filled me in on this. So I'm, I'm late on the news here. But my first reaction to this was when you said that Tom Morris said Cornelio is dropped. I said, hang on a second. <laughs> I said, wait a second. Didn't Tom Morris already go with this earlier in the season and was wrong? He did sort of go with it. He said that GWS were highly considering dropping Stephen Cornelio after about four games, and we said it was ridiculous at that point to make that call on a captain. Then he came out, I think, had 25 touches the next game, but he has gone absolutely 100% categorical today, saying that uh, Leon Cameron is fed up after losing to the Crows, and uh, Cornelio will be dropped, the first captain to be dropped in 20 20 years, I believe. That's interesting. I mean, Leon Cameron was pretty hard on the midfield after that last game. And I thought it was probably fair enough as well when we looked at the Giants again and the 20, they were in the high 20s, I think off the top of my head, 27 inside 50s. Yeah. It wasn't good enough. And the, and the back line actually held up pretty well. We speak obviously about Nick Haynes a lot this, this year. And again, he was fantastic. But yeah, just no drive, no drive for the midfield. And this is without Josh Kelly as well. So I, I don't know whether Kelly... Is, is close to returning, but to drop Cornelio, <laughs> talk about a statement. And in a game that they absolutely desperately need to win. I mean, they've got no wiggle room here, so that's even more so. Um, pretty surprising that they'd go down that path. Yeah, we're going to talk about this game a little bit later on, but that is, it's, a, it's one of the biggest games of the weekend as they take on Melbourne. But some more news, Kane, coming through here. Uh, we talked about Matty Cruiser retiring yesterday. His former Carlton teammate Bryce Gibbs also retired. He was, of course, a yeah, really highly rated youngster, top draft pick coming through, um, and then really fell off quickly. And we had the drama with him wanting to go to Adelaide, then not going to Adelaide, then eventually going to Adelaide and being dropped multiple times this season. Do you view the sort of end of his career? Because he's not that old. This end, end of his career, does it tarnish what he did earlier in his career? I mean, it just depends how you rate what he did earlier in his career. I mean, he was playing the Carlton teams that were not good for a long time. Surely they had a pretty good midfield there for a stretch. Obviously, Mark Murphy was in there. Juddy was there as well. But, you know, I I just don't know where we end up judging him. He's a guy that won a hell of a lot of the footy. He's had over 6,000 disposals in his career. So he's had the footy a lot. And up until even that first year in Adelaide, he played the 22 games, averaged 20, just a touch under 26 disposals per game. He was pretty good. But after that... Uh, he really fell off. Only 12 games last year. To the side, I think he was dropped two or three times. And then this year, he's only played the two games. He will play uh, this week against the Blues. But uh, that's basically just a farewell game for him. But yeah, it's it's surprising. I mean, I think, again, it, the biggest thing for me is I wonder what would have happened to his career if he didn't go to Adelaide. Because we know <laughs> basically what has happened to Adelaide over the last couple of years since that grand final. And remember, they were loading up. Um, by trying to bring in Gibbs and they were trying to win win premierships and he was a player that had been on a lot of losing teams and wanted to have that success, obviously going home as well. 
And it, it just uh, it, it didn't work out. It's been nothing. Just an, just another name to throw into the disaster that's been Adelaide the last couple of years. Are you saying that Bryce Gibbs going to Adelaide is what caused their downfall? I mean, I, I'm not ruling it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean obviously not, but it, it's a shame. It's a shame for him. Put it this way: I don't think he would have predicted that this is the way things were going to go down in Adelaide when he went there. No, I don't think anybody would have expected that. Right. They would have said, "Look, they're adding an extra bow to the midfield, which was and their uh, offensive game, which was so strong in 2017. Like that were one of the best uh, forward teams or attacking teams in in the league that year. And of course, that is always skewed by watching or by looking at the final game in the grand final where they just capitulated. They were heavy favorites going into that one. Uh, and then things just went downhill from there. Some other news, Kane. Um, shorter quarters. We talked about them a lot at the start of the year. I haven't really mentioned it at all. Now it's yeah. The AFL said they'll go back to the, the twenty minutes next year. But do we do we believe that? Do we, and you've written here. Look, does that mean that if we keep shorter quarters, can we have more games during during the season uh, instead of a twenty-two game season? We get to twenty-eight games do you think that's a possibility like where are we at with that because i haven't heard a person really talk about shorter quarters in terms of a a, a negative thing for for months it feels like no i don't really care about the shorter quarters anymore it's definitely something that's um i guess just become the norm or you've just kind of got used to now i certainly understand there will be people that are completely against it they want to go back to 20 next year i do get that i think ultimately it comes down to whether or not the afl decides that they want to go ahead with the, the festival of footy. That's where I think this is going to land because I think if you're going to do that and you're asking teams to have uh, four-day breaks, five-day breaks, even if it's just for a, a short portion of the season, I think asking them to go back to 20-minute uh, quarters, uh, essentially adding 20-plus minutes of game time uh, to a, a game, I, I don't think that you can you can expect to do that. So if they are, and it's all financial, and, and this is basically what the report says, that it is all money-based, uh, they're unsure of what's going to happen next year in regards to how many fans are going to be allowed to go to games, what the travel situation is going to be. So they're looking at maximizing the revenue, and that's why they're trying to play more games. And the players will be on board on this. Let's not forget that, because they're going to want to be paid fully. And the reason that the way they do that is by adding to the revenue. So they might be on board with this. I'm just not sure about 28 rounds. Like, we're, we're, why are we at 28? I mean, we've found this year this balance where every team plays each other once. Obviously, it's been unique, neutral venues. I get that. But we've spoke before, and I think ultimately the the, the, the the sweet spot is 20 games, or 20 rounds, sorry, 20 teams play each other once, 19 rounds. And uh, 28 again, I mean, again, you just, you're going to get to the end of the year and say, well, this isn't fair. None of this makes sense. Why are we playing this team twice? Why do we play this team once? Where are we traveling? Why is this the case? Uh, again, it's just it's back to just an uneven comp. It's it's just kind of weird to me. Yeah, twenty eight is a is a strange number. Now there was comments last night after the injury to McGovern talking from uh, Nick Rewalt uh, talking about yeah other oh, players. It's too much stress on their body. There's so many injuries. This is always going to happen. But in terms of yeah playing more games. And yeah, there's so many play, former players or play people in the media. Oh, it's going to make footy worse. It's devaluing what the game is. I, I just don't feel like that has been the case at all. I don't feel like most people are going, mate, you know what? Too much footy. Too, too much footy's going on at the moment. And I understand there's pressures on, on players' bodies. I'd like to talk to more current players and see what they think about the, the, the breaks and how their bodies are recovering and what that means in terms of managing themselves during training. So I'm sure most players will go, hey, if we have a hard session on the track versus if we play a game, I know which one they'd prefer. 
Um, so I, I don't know. It's been a lot of former players saying that. I haven't really heard any current players talking about, geez, these breaks are, are killing us and, and it's really poor in that respect. So I look, I, I, if you want a fair fixture, go go 34. Let's, let's play 34 games in it next next year. Really, really, really get them in there. Get some of that uh, cash back that they're going to lose. Play everyone twice. Play the shorter quarters. I don't. Maybe that's going a little far, but it's only six extra games versus the 28 that they're already proposing. I reckon. The, I reckon it can be done. I mean, that's ideal to play each other twice, play each other home, play each other away. The problem with that is that this year it made sense because everyone's in the one spot virtually. I mean, I know there's been a little bit of trouble, but everyone's there. The teams are together. It made sense to play more games and play games more frequently. I think uh, the, the travel, if we are traveling and teams are in their home cities or home markets, whatever you want to call it, I, I think it changes a, a little bit and I think it becomes more difficult to play these games. And I, I know you can say, well, what's the travel? What does it mean? But it, it does mean that if you are traveling, there's more, uh, there's less time to recover. There's less time for treatment, that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know whether 34 would actually work. It's a hell of a lot of footy. I, I mean, I wouldn't complain. I agree with you. I mean, I'm never going to be someone that's going to say too much footy on turn it off. Like it's, that's just not uh, what's going to happen. I think the other argument would be over a 34 game season, um, there would probably be some teams that after 20 weeks could say that their season is done and what are they going to do for the last 14 rounds of the year? They might they might drop off a little bit. It might become pretty poor uh, product down the stretch. That, that's a possibility. I'd like to talk to some current players and maybe, maybe I'll see if I can put some feelers out and see see what they think about the, the breaks and, and games played and see how they are, they're responding to it. But that, that's an interesting thing to talk about. We did have a game last night. It was actually a really big game. And the Eagles, after losing to the Bulldogs last week, uh, they get the victory in the end. It looked like St. Kilda was going to pit them in that last quarter with injuries and other injury to McGovern there. But uh, West Coast gets the win, keeps their top four hopes alive. And St. Kilda, that is, uh, that, that's, a, that's a rough one for them because they have GWS coming up next game. And yeah, that this could potentially make them miss the finals. Well, it's disappointing for St. Kilda, but they've done this all year long. They just haven't been able to win close games. And they got in front. And they ended up going. They ended up going down by 15 points, but it was a goal after the siren. It was a it was a stupid free kick as well. It was it was complete rubbish. So you know this is another game that potentially would have been a single digit loss for them, and and they've had a ton of them this year. I think that's six times, fifth or sixth time they've lost uh, a game by fewer than 10 points, and they just can't win the close ones. And again, it comes back to what we spoke about uh, the, their game style and and how do they score? How do they score against structured, well organized backlines? And to be honest. There was no excuse for them losing this game. The Eagles were battered. The Eagles were bruised. They had no one left on the field. You spoke about McGovern. He went down with a hamstring. This was literally Tim Kelly and Nick Nat carrying the Eagles over the line. It was incredible. Those two were unbelievable in the fourth quarter. Well, one thing about Nick Nat, and my mum sent me this stat that someone had tweeted out yesterday uh, from Adrian Polycandritis, saying that Nick Nat Nui, prior to yesterday, he had two, two big grabs late in that game. Uh, prior to that, he'd had uh, seven marks for the whole season. Which is that's actually an astonishing number. That's he played fourteen games and had seven marks, so one mark every two games, which is unbelievable. And then came up with two two big ones yesterday. But that, that is astonishing to me that a bloke that size who gets into that many contests and, he, and he's just around that much is just not actually grabbing any marks. It's it was unbelievable to me. And then of course once I read that study, he came out and had two grabs at the end of the game. Yeah, the two marks, but. It's just the clearances, isn't it? And this yeah. is why when we were talking about the Eagles last week where I said if they had have had Nick Nat, they'd probably win that game because you saw that even when the Saints uh, got in front 
it was Nick Nat, and then Tim Kelly was huge. I mean, we, we can talk about him. He was he was unbelievable. And when we talk about the bit of a slow start that Kelly had to the start of the year, that was him at his absolute best. But what Nick Nat gives you, he just gives you easy clearances. And the Saints just needed to find a way to to tend the, stem the tide a little bit when they when they got in front, and they felt like all the momentum was their way. And then all of a sudden, two quick clearances. Thanks to Nick Nat, bang, two goals, and the Eagles were back in front all of a sudden. And you just couldn't believe what you just watched in the in the previous minute. But that's what Nick Nat does. Nine clearances for himself. From 33 hitouts, he had nine clearances. Tim Kelly had nine clearances as well. Uh, again, you talk about Chewy that was obviously uh, out of the team. Uh, Dom Sheed wasn't playing as well. Uh, those were the two guys that we spoke about pregame, and, uh, and they delivered. Sorry, just having a drink of water there as you were as you were talking. But just quickly, just because you you owe an apology to Tom Morris, the Giants have the Giants official account has tweeted out that Stephen Cornelia will not play tomorrow night. Okay, um, first of all, first of all, let me say I don't I don't, I don't owe an apology to anyone. I'm just telling the facts that Tom Morris went hard with this and got embarrassed earlier in the season. It's a fact. He had to apologize for it. Let's he, just listen. He did. Uh, no apologies from here. No, nah, he he did, but uh, he got it right this time, and uh, Cornelia will not play. So just. Uh, just confirming, confirming that one. Um, score reviews, Kane. Oh, I mean, the, the arc. I tweeted this, but the arc can fuck off because uh, <laughs> I, I tell you, honestly, it, it's just a joke and and it's ridiculous. And I, I don't even know why we're bothering to do this anymore. You, you either get the good technology or don't worry about it at all because. The amount of time we spent in last night's game, I, I think there was about four reviews in one quarter. Each of them took about two minutes, maybe two, maybe two minutes plus. And none of them gave a conclusive result. Every single one of them went back to umpire's call because the technology is absolute crap. You can't see anything. You and I just I don't know what I'm looking at when I'm sitting on my couch watching them rock the 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 footage back and forth, back and forth. It's blurry as anything. I've joked about it before. It's like a Motorola flip phone camera they've got strapped to the goalpost. You can't see anything at all, and it's just pointless. I, I just don't even know what we're bothering with this anymore. I reckon, and I've had some theories that or ideas that you've said, that's pretty stupid, Josh, in the past. And this is going to go along with that. But I, I think that we we don't have umpires calling for it. I think it needs to be one of those ones where you know, the, the guy is sitting there watching on the TV and if it's an absolute howler and the umpire calls it, he goes, hey, hang on a second, guys. Let me have a look at this because something it doesn't look right. Like something doesn't look right here versus an umpire on an on-the-line call um, saying, oh, let's review it. Without and we can't actually tell. Now I agree, getting that technology is is huge, but we still uh, I don't know. Look, better cameras, yes. Better positioning of cameras, yes. Maybe that solves it. But just relying upon it for all of these ones where we can't actually get a definitive call, I, I don't think. Or if those ones, even when it's you know, thirty meters out, and oh, did his finger move slightly on a frame there? Was it yeah. touch? Like if if the umpire calls it, like. Uh, if he calls it touch, if he doesn't call it touch, that's fine. I think we have to live with that rather than this nonsense where we don't actually get a, a decent result. It just needs to be for those ones where everyone goes, dude, that that absolutely hit the post and you missed it. And the guy can come back and say, hey, mate, it hit the post. Rather than, oh, you know, can you can you see yeah, how many bees dicks is in this one? Because it just, it just frustrates everybody at this point. Well, those touched ones and the one last night, I think it was, uh, it might have been Loney. Was it the one that, that kicked that, that huge snap that sort of took the took the break and then bounced through. Anyway, there was a number of hands around there. And the even if it was touched, this has never been something... It, it's kind of just something that, that has never been 
taken note of in the past. No. I mean, if someone literally, like if the ball just brushes your finger, yes, technically it's touched. But it's never been something that has been uh, adjudicated on in the past. And, you know, I, I just don't know. I think this is the downside of review. And we, we see it across all sports as well. I, I just, I don't think that that, if it's not obvious... I, and when I say it's not obvious, I mean you could have you could have watched that replay a million times and you wouldn't have had a clue what happened. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just I don't know what we're doing. I, I just think that either get the technology right, and I think that the ones you need to worry about are the goal line ones rather than the the touched off the boot forty meters out in in the scramble. I, I just think listen, get the goal goal line right, but fix the cameras. At least make it worthwhile because at the moment it's just a complete waste of time. Yeah, the cameras just don't make really any sense. Uh, at all at this stage in terms of you know the positioning and not providing you know, clear enough vision for us and yeah look just, that's that's yeah. a money thing but do it properly or don't do it at all like, there's just no need for it just go back to umpire's call on all of that stuff because you know, that's what we're doing anyway we're just wasting more time getting to the end result of an umpire's call but there is a game tonight game, game of the year you know what? In terms of importance, I reckon it's uh, it's up there. It is. It's massive. The, the, will the quality be there? Well, that uh, remains to be seen. But there's a real chance that Geelong and Richmond tonight is, in fact, the game of the year. Richmond wins this one, and they probably get a top four spot. They lose this one. West Coast is right back in the mix to get that top four position. It is an absolute monster Friday night footy game. This is what uh, you know. we always hear about big Friday night games. This is what Friday night games are all about, is getting this sort of game in. And... One thing, there's a big article as well on AFL today, AFL today, afl.com.au today about uh, Mark Blitzavs, and they've brought back uh, Radagalia here. Of course, the memories of uh, Blitzavs playing up in the uh, midfield in the preliminary final last year while Tom Lynch was going crazy would not sit well with you, Kane, and other Geelong supporters. But it looks like they're they're getting uh, Radagalia in there to try and take on uh, Ivan Soldo in the ruck. Um, so what what are we what are we doing here? You know, Blitzavs is elite really whenever he plays defense wing uh in the ruck but yeah where where is the best situation here is chris scott just saying well i don't want to make that mistake again and let's let's throw him down onto tom lynch well it's really interesting because i i think i would not and and i was at that game last year and it was literally everyone at the ground was wondering what the hell chris scott was doing and why Blitzavs wasn't down there tom lynch was going absolutely nuts the cats obviously had a big lead at half time that evaporated pretty quickly because of Tom Lynch while your best backman is playing on a wing and he never went back there and everyone was you know really frustrated about that obviously but I mean it might have cost him a flag I mean there's no other way to put that and at the start of the year I think I've said on this podcast I said if Blitzavs ever plays on the wing again I'm (laughs) going to lose it I think the interesting thing about this is and I have to admit that I was at this to this point for what we've seen so far during the season I was absolutely wrong about Lockie Henderson and he's come into the team and played as a backman. So if you remember back to the prelim last year, Lockie Henderson came into the team. But the reason he came into the team was for Tom Hawkins, and he played as a forward. So the Cats were actually light on down back. So what Henderson has done this year, and by the way, uh, the Cats redrafted Lockie Henderson as a rookie. And and we, we could talk about this this rookie and and why they're calling Lockie Henderson a rookie it's if ridiculous. we want. It's, it's, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But either way, Henderson has come back into the team. I was very, very, very skeptical about Lockie Henderson, and perhaps I am still a little bit. But since he's come back into the team, Blitzavs has been released up the ground. Henderson and Harry Taylor have had a fantastic season so far. Them two combined have uh, taken part in 48 one-on-ones for the season. They've only lost nine of them. Uh, they've been extremely good. And Henderson has basically been the guy that's played on those tall backs. 
whether he uh, tall forwards, whether he gets the job to start on Tom Lynch tonight first, or Harry Taylor will be the guy. It's going to be one of those two, and I think it's probably the biggest difference between this year and last year. <laughs> I think this is the problem. If you make a mistake as big as what Chris Scott did in last year's prelim final, if you go to the well again a second time, then you probably should lose your job if, if it doesn't go well. So the problem for the Cats right now is that they did absolutely nothing about the ruck, uh, number one ruck spot last year. They still find themselves heading into another final series saying, well, hopefully Reece Stanley gets healthy. He's our guy. Blitzers will pinch hit around the ground, plays that extra midfielder. He's a really good clearance player when he plays in that ruck spot. But there's no doubt that, again, for what feels like the eighth year in a row since Brad Alton's left, the Cats are going into the final series with kind of no surety as to what the hell is going to happen in the ruck. Yeah, and, and that's a problem. Now, at least they have some options here. So, like, you know, Blitzarves can go play in the ruck. He can go down back because Radigalia is back. But you still don't want to trust Radigalia to be, you know, full-time rocking. Uh, so, it, it does... It's always that scenario with a player like Blitzarves. You go, I wish I had two of him. wish I had three of him. But you don't. So, you got to work out where to do it and, be, and have at least flexibility if you need to change things up during the game because something's, you know getting out of hand like it was last year, which, you know, against Scott not making that decision to change was obviously a haunting decision for him. So we'll see. what The stakes in this game aren't quite as high as what they were last year, but it's going to be important to see exactly how they uh, how they match up and what they do with Blitzers. I want to look at the other end of the ground, though, because you talked about it earlier this week about the MVP and how Tom Hawkins should be in that mix. And now we have to see how, how Richmond matches up on him. Do they throw Bolter onto him? At the moment, the way they're you know, named, it's yeah, Grimes on Hawkins, but I, I don't really think that's going to be something that happens all the way through. But are you, do you think Bolter gets the first crack there? Yeah, I do. It looks like he's got the strength, doesn't it? Yeah. He's, he's a massive unit. And I always go back to that game against the Gold Coast way, way back earlier in the season. I've spoke about it a couple of times, but Sam Collins outmarked Tom Hawkins on a couple of occasions. I was really, really impressed with him in that game and he was sort of the not not so young sam collins isn't that young but he's inexperienced comparatively to tom hawkins and i thought he was really good so now the challenge goes to bolter bolter's been super impressive all season really he's this guy's he's not even 21 yet like that is what's impressive for him yeah. uh, as a player of his size with his strength um and taking on big opponents like just a couple of weeks ago at nc eagles he had nine grabs 16 touches like that's that's a that's a big number of possessions to go along with his contested work as well. Um, and he is really stepping up. So if he can go out there and nullify what has been or who has been the number one forward, uh, arguably, depending on your value on the forwards in the competition, if he can go in there and uh, provide at least neutral uh, output from Hawkins, that's a massive win for Richmond and enabling these other guys like Vlosten and Grimes to go and do other things. Um, that's going to be huge for them. So we'll see how, how that works. Um, but that's one I really want to see because nothing like watching yeah, a guy that's really stepped it up like Bolter has, a young player, now taking on one of the hardest challenges for a, a key defender in the league. I think it's interesting with no Asprey back in the team just yet. What's what's plan B if it doesn't work out for Bolter? I mean, this is clearly a huge challenge for him. He's, he's been unbelievable the last sort of six, seven weeks. But if the Cats... Uh, do get on top of them. Dylan Grimes obviously comes back into the team. He's been fantastic for a, for a long period of time, but he is kind of a, a smaller frame compared to Bolter anyway. I think that's why the matchup looks obvious 
just size for size with with Bolter. Is Grimes the only plan B? Is there any concern if Hawkins gets on top here, what they do? Yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to like look at him going through this team. Like, what else do they do? Like, I, I don't know who else they could possibly be be chucking into that spot. Cause you're not going to. Yeah, you, you, Grimes is probably a bit too small. Vlosten's not going to be able to do it. You know, the other guys named back here: Hooli, Markov, and Short. Like, that's not that's not their game. So I don't know what else what else they do there. They got Nankervis and Soldo both playing. You wouldn't want to throw those guys down there in a key defensive position to try and uh, to try and deal with Hawkins. So I, maybe it just has to be. Uh, bolter through thick or thin and hey we've got the trust in you and go and do it who do you like on dusty poor poor that's uh, maybe it's maybe it's Stuart. um it depends on yeah look because you've got rewalt and lynch obviously there's henderson taylor there but maybe maybe if they do throw blitzovs down there maybe blitzovs takes dusty he's got the obviously the engine and the strength to to follow dusty up the ground um but i, I think i think Stuart is probably one of those options I'd go with. Who would you, as someone who watches Geelong more intently than I do, who's, who are you throwing on the, if, if Dusty is forward, if he's going in the midfield, that's a that's a different story than you probably throw Guthrie there, I'd say. Yeah, I think Jed Buse is probably going to be the guy. Um, he, he's he's more of that, uh, I, I don't think that the Cats will want to put Tom Stewart on, on Dusty because he's too valuable to them, uh, sort of leaking off players who clearly... The Dusty is not a guy you want to do that uh, on because he will cut you up. So uh, I think it might be Buse, but again, I think it'll be interesting because, you know, we talk about the Hawkins and the Cats forward line and how dangerous they've been. But, uh, yeah, Dusty at times. And again, I've spoke about this in big games is when he goes nuts and in that prelim again last year and multiple times against the Cats in big games, actually, he's stepped up. Well, we do have other games to talk about, Kane, because uh, there's a whole weekend of footy coming up here. So... In terms of the other bit, the, the biggest game I think here of the the weekend outside of Friday night is probably GWS in Melbourne. You've got Port and Essendon, or Essendon's pretty much cooked. North and Frio, okay, no impact there. Yeah, Fremantle still technically can make it. Carlton, Adelaide, sure, whatever. Hawthorne and the Bulldogs, Bulldogs need to win that one. Sydney and Brisbane, yep, or whatever. Like it's it's GWS in Melbourne because yeah. one of these teams is going to be uh, if Melbourne loses, they're they're done. If GWS loses, they're in real trouble. Um, both these teams have absolutely pissed away opportunities in the last two weeks. So one of them has to win. So that's, I guess, a good thing there is these teams can go, well, at least we know that we, you know, we've got a chance of winning here because the other team's pissing things away as much as we are. But how do we how do we look at this? Is this is the Canelio dropping the, the spur that GWS needs after that piss-poor loss? Because Melbourne obviously aren't spurred on by piss-poor losses, uh, giving us two of those in a row. I, I just don't know how to read this game because these are two of the most inconsistent and infuriating teams in the league. Yeah, I got literally no idea what's going to happen in this game because I, I just, at this point, I just don't have faith in either team. I still think I would lean towards the Giants. Uh, as we spoke about yesterday, Phil Davis looks like he's out for the season as a key loss. Canelio hasn't played well, but maybe this is a wake up call that he'll come back and be a, a factor in the finals if they get there. But it's just unbelievable. I mean, if you had have told me that. Either of these teams were going to miss the finals. Melbourne, I would have believed you, but I still just come back to the Giants. And you look at their team, there's just too much talent there. I just cannot believe that the Giants are in this position. They've got to figure it out, but I've just got no faith. We've spoke about their game plan is just all over the place. One week, they're bombing the ball inside 50, playing the territory game. Another one, they're chipping it around. Jeremy Cameron's had a disaster of a season, and this was the problem a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about Riccardi that came into the team, Jake Riccardi, and I said, well, he's basically bailed them out. And he bailed them out in that game against Carlton, the game that they shouldn't have won. 
And it's just confusing that Jeremy, Jeremy Cameron, last year's Coleman medal winner, spent so much time up the ground. And Riccardi's come in and become that deep forward almost for this team. Again, it just points to the fact that there's just no structure with this team. They just seem completely at sea. They don't know what they're trying to do or where they're trying to go or how they're trying to do it. It's just bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. Yeah, it's these teams are confused in different ways in terms of how they play, but it's just that inconsistency in decision making for for both squads. And so Melbourne's skill level, do you think? Like Melbourne's skill level, GWS just seem confused. Yeah, Melbourne's is yeah. Maybe that's the case. Um, it's it's execution, but it's also decision making on that execution because you can have bad yeah. skills, but not try and overvalue your skills. And think well, you know, I'm a shit kick, but let's try and just uh, ping a bloke up at centre half back, yeah, as I as I centre the ball to an, enable a turnover, and team gets an easy inside fifty. That's like an awareness of of what you're doing and not yeah, overvaluing your own ability with the ball. So I think some of that is skill, but it's also determining your skill level and and putting it in a spot to minimise those sort of issues. There is some uh, news here on on Melbourne. Uh, Angus Brayshaw will not play again this season. Um, he's going to have under uh, surgery on his foot. Now he missed last week, but he he won't obviously won't be back this week, and he won't be back for the season. So that's um that's not <laughs> great for them. Um, they've still got yeah these guys you know Langdon and Oliver Petrarca, Viney, all these sort of guys. But Brayshaw was a, a player who was providing some pretty good midfield minutes for them through the season, but he won't be uh, returning this week. It is it's the game that is going to have the most impact outside of tonight's game. On the the final eight, of course, assuming other results go as uh, expected, of course, Hawthorne could come out and upset the Bulldogs, or uh, yeah, Fremantle could, and Essendon could get uh, could get wins here to push themselves back up. But this is the one that, that's a real important one, and they're two of the most annoying and frustrating teams all season. No, they have been, and again, you know, watching Melbourne's been tough going. I've said this before, but I reckon if you're a Melbourne fan, it's almost the toughest team to support in the AFL this season. Uh, just struggling. As you said, Brayshaw is a big loss for them. He went into the midfield, and when they were winning games through the middle, uh, he was uh, playing some really good footy, winning heaps of the footy. Christian Pachaka, still up there in the Brownlow betting. He's been fantastic. You can't really fault him uh, this season, 24 disposals per game. Uh, and uh, and, he, and he brings the pressure as well, 377 metres gain. Petrarca, it feels like, and it's felt like this has been the case all year with the Demons. It's him or nothing. He's got to produce a match-winning performance, probably kick three or four goals, and they'll give you a chance. Because if not, I just don't have much faith in them kicking a score. Yeah, that is that is the problem. Is it Much like the Blitzarves problem, is like, well, I need Petrarca up forward and I need him in the midfield. I mean, okay, you can't do both uh, yeah, 100% of the time. So that leaves, leaves a problem there for Melbourne. But that will uh, leave us with the end of the show. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the week. Kane, thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure. Be back next week. A lot of footy over the weekend. Make sure you guys are checking checking out the games, your team. Good luck to your team unless they're playing my team or unless a win by your team impacts my team and then I hope that you lose. But don't also, go ahead and subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a review. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Trent Henschel.